Welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're getting into Revelation Friday here at Revelation chapter number 4. We're going to be reading through the chapter here. It's not a very long chapter. It's only about, I suppose, 11 verses, but it's a powerful one. It gives us a vision unto the throne room of God. Uh, when we read through this, this is what we can testify clearly that our friends and family members who have gone on before us up to this point, that they have entered into and that they are experiencing in this moment. Whenever someone talks about going to heaven, say, I can't wait to go to heaven, what they're actually saying is, I can't wait to go to this throne room of God where all of these things that we're about to cover and read are taking place. The very recognition of the great cloud of witnesses that would be spoken of by the writer of Hebrews there in chapter number 12 as, as telling us to press forward to the author and finisher of our faith and not to be beset by the sins and, and those things which easily set us back is to recognize that there's that great cloud of witnesses that has gone on before us who has lived that life pleasing to the Father that we are commanded to live and to remember their efforts, remember their sacrifices, remember their works, and so that we could do them. And this is exactly the purpose behind why we celebrate a Memorial Day for our nation every year, as like we did last week, is because of the very fact that, that we never want to forget the sacrifices of those who gave their all so that we could remain free. Likewise, we never want to reach a place where we forget the sacrifices of those who paved the way for us to have the faith that we have today, the belief we're able to have in Jesus, those who gave their lives for the writing of Scripture, those who, who like John Wycliffe or William Tyndale, that would be burned alive on the stake or uh, persecuted in such a fashion as to be killed in some heinous way just so that we could have the Word of God in our own English language. Very important for us never to forget the price that had to be paid. And so we, we get an opportunity to be able to see today where they are right now. We get a chance to be able to see where our loved ones are we get a chance to be able to discover the reality of heaven. Because when we speak about heaven, we're speaking about this throne room. So let's dive right in. Father, we are grateful for the blessing of being able to discuss your home, to be able to see with the heart a glimpse of the glory that we will enter into as being absent from this body would present us present to the Lord. And Lord, we just we want to thank you for this glimpse as it may give us courage, as it may uh, embolden us, Lord, to live in this life, in this world, a stronger believer, knowing that, that nothing can stop us from the glory that we're, we will enter into. Nothing can hold us back from that. As you said in Romans 8 through the Apostle Paul, there's nothing that could separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. So let us, Lord, look to this chapter with faith and just rejoice in this chapter for the promise that we have received 
through eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Guys, I say it because it's just the most thrilling thing that could ever happen in your life is the very fact of this throne room in heaven that we're about to look at in Revelation 4. So let's get to uh, discovering it. And we'll read through. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were, were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there were, as it was, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like the face of an eagle. Or the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor, power, for, th for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. This is such a powerful uh, reading, such a powerful chapter. It's only 11 verses, but will we even accomplish it today? It's hard-pressed to be able to say that because of how much is contained within this. The very point of verses 1 and 2, just as you would be able to see the glimpse of a rapture, one of, one of the multitude of reasons why I am a believer in the pre-tribulation time, time frame of rapture uh, is this very point that it's made right here in Revelation 4. We just came out of Revelation 2 and 3. We were talking intently about the churches and the, the attitudes and, and natures of those churches that still exist in our modern day, by the way. And so it was a correctional time that Jesus was moving through those churches, revealing those things which they have done well and encouraging them to carry on those things which they do well. 
but chastising them for the ways in which they have done wrongly and, and encouraging repentance within the bodies so that they can, they can not have to face that time of judgment which begins at the house of God with this, these attitudes looming over them and them being, being held back from the glory that God would have, uh, the fullness of, of His blessing. And so we find that we were dealing with the time where the churches were in activity, where they were working, but then we hit Revelation chapter 4 and we see the church no more. From this point, when you see John being taken up into heaven, you'll find that there's no more a mention of the, the New Testament church again until Revelation 19 when it talks about the return of Christ and the host of army that he had with him. You don't, you don't find it because the entire time of tribulation, those seven years of of three and a half in, in part that you find a tribulation, which is the setting up of the kingdom of Antichrist, and then the great tribulation, which is the the rule of authority of Antichrist is sitting in the throne and, and trying to replace God. You find that that whole seven years is a time of the fulfillment of the old covenant's prophecy through Daniel of the 70th week that was prophesied through Daniel, and that that's dealing with Israel. It's dealing with the Messianic believers who are pro proclaiming Jesus into the world at the time because the church is removed. It's dealing with those martyred saints who are believing the message of the gospel through the Messianic Jews who are proclaiming that 144,000 we're going to meet in two chapters. <clears throat> and it's dealing with the Old Covenant Israel, the, the Orthodox Judaism, who is lulled into belief of the Antichrist to be their Messiah and the judgments that are rained down from heaven for that whole seven years that, that would would uh, convict a world of its crimes against God that, that they would reject it, that they would rebel and fight against up until the time where the Lord comes back. So here in verse number one and two, as you see, there's a door standing open in heaven. Now, interestingly enough, dealing with the church at Philadelphia in, in chapter number three, we see that Jesus presented himself to the church at Philadelphia and say, I'm the one that opens a door that no man can shut. And I'm the one that shuts a door that no man can open. And we recognize that that point that Jesus made, the church of Philadelphia, as, as the time in Noah's day, when Noah completed the building of the ark, in, in chapter number 7 of Genesis, you'll find that a voice comes from inside the ark. He says, come into the ark. Well, you're, you're not a person standing outside of the boat telling people to come into it. If you were outside of the boat, you would tell people to get into it. But if you're inside somewhere, like your house and someone knocks on your door and you open the door, you, you say, come in. And, and so you'll find that, that he is, was an invitation from God to come into that ark with Noah the same way uh, that Jesus is, is that door. Because as we know that Noah is powerless to be able to close this mighty door that was on the ark, but that God was the one that shut him in, that we also realize that in the strength of, of God to be able to open a door that no man can open or shut a door that no man 
uh, well, open a door that no man could shut and shut a door that no man could open. Let me get that straight. Is that once the rains began to fall after the Lord had shut the door on the ark, that all the people on the outside of that were then beating upon that that door and, and, and trying to climb that ark and do whatever they could because everything that Noah said over the years that he was building that ark, which, which was within 100, was coming true. This rain was falling, and the next thing you know, these people are starting to die. They're starting to drown, and the water's rising, and there's no way for them to be able to get into that ark because when the Lord shut the door, as they had plenty of time to be able to go in. I mean, Noah and his family went into that ark, and it wasn't until eight days later. As he was in that ark, it was eight days later that the door was shut. So plenty of people had an opportunity to be able to go in. None of them took it, and they all died. And so it's very important for us to understand uh, in that connection that, that when, they, when Noah went into that ark that it was a, a trouble scenario for for the world and if they would have just obeyed the lord they would have been saved but that's the point if we would come to faith in jesus and obey the lord we would be safe from death safe from hell safe from suffering and he says he says here in verse number 1 of Revelation 4, he says, uh, the door standing open in heaven. And what does he hear? He said, the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 from verses 55 clear down to 58 talk to us about the, the, the last trump, the trumpet sound. The dead shall rise. We also hear that in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And both of those instances are referring to the deliverance of those who have fallen asleep, recognized in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 for verses 16 to 18. But you go further back, it's talking verse number 13. That not to be sorrowful as the world sorrows, because our brethren who have gone on before us that we consider to be dead are not dead at all. They are very much alive and and there is a union that Jesus is going to make come to pass when he comes down in the clouds of the air is recognized in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that, that he will reunite a, a brand new and living body with the spirit that is with him in heaven as being absent from the body. Now we're tying all of these scriptures together in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. <laughs> being absent from the body is being present with the Lord. And so we we find this beautiful doctrine of the rapture and to say, well, the, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, you're right. But the doctrine is sound and it's right there in front of you as, as being recognized as the pulling out of the saints from this present evil world for the period of time of, of revelation, that tribulation. And so that God can fulfill the covenants that he has yet to fulfill with his people, the old covenant Israel, and that Jesus can fulfill the judgment seat and everything that he has covenanted to fulfill with us, his church. And so it comes down, he says, the, the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, which just covered all of that, said... Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. The very point, come up, 
come up here. So the same way that 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 God, I believe it's Jesus doing the work, but nevertheless, the same way that God would speak from inside the ark telling Noah, come into the ark, the same voice that would be telling Moses, come up on the mountain, is the same voice that's telling, telling us, is telling G, uh, John right here, come up here and I will show you. And it's the booming sound of the trumpet blast. And then there's this neat word. Now, in the King James, you'll find in verse number 2 of, of chapter 4 in Revelation, it says, immediately. Here, you see it defined as at once. He said, at once I was in the Spirit. In other words, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 tells us, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, scientifically speaking, the concept of the twinkling of an eye is that which happens in your eyeball before your lids close to blink. And so it's been traced at, at approximately one one-thousandth of a second, this concept of the twinkling of an eye. And so at verse number two, you find this, at once I was in the Spirit, and you connect it to 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 58, you hear this, this in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise. You find that that this one one thousandth of a second is the distance between being on this earth and being in the clouds of the air evermore to be with the Lord. It's one one thousandth of a second. And honestly, it's almost impossible to wrap your head around the idea of what's being said right there. Because no one has the, the technical skill to be able to start a timer and stop a timer to be able to track one one-thousandth of a second. And that that is so infinitesimal in its time of, of speed that, that it's we're just going to have to experience that. But also in the experience of that, I don't think that a lot of people are ready to like they're prepared to go to heaven. I mean, you know, we've, we, we've sought the Lord. We've received our salvation. We've received forgiveness of our sins. We've repented. We, we are prepared to meet our God like Amos chapter 4 or verse 12 would tell us to do. We're prepared to meet our God, but we aren't ready <laughs> because we're going to get just snatched. And that's what the word rapture means, to be caught up or snatched away. It's We're, we're going to be... Uh, a kidnapped from this earth. It's it's a good kidnapping, amen, because it's the Lord that's taking us away from this corruption and death and is delivering us unto uh, eternal life and, and health and, and, and just being with him in heaven. But it's going to be a kidnapping because he said that he's coming back as a thief in the night, recognized in Second Peter chapter number 3, Verse 10 and 11, he says, I'm coming as a thief in the night, and, and you're not going to be ready for me. It's just going to snatch us off this earth, which, hallelujah, snatch me. I'm ready to go. And so you see that it says, um, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. He said, at once. It's just a powerful statement. If you're really considering the time it took for, for John on the island of Patmos, where he's abandoned and stranded to die 
and and the amount of time he goes from the suffering of of the the wounds that he has been inflicted and in the exile that he's been placed in to being right there in in this vision in this scene and and I called it a vision but I don't know how else to explain it for John he was there it wasn't like he was uh, in a meditative trance and he's receiving all of this in in his mind that's not the case at all he was literally there as the scripture reveals at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and how how do you describe god <laughs> Now, John initially starts off with one seated upon the throne. And, of course, we understand in Revelation chapter number 1, as he saw Jesus, he sees the embodiment of a man with, with white hair and, and the golden sash and, and you know, this, this person. But when he describes God, he, he just says, I, I'm standing in the throne. Well, a throne is standing in heaven and one seated on the throne. And, and he who sat on, on the throne had the appearance. Well, keep in mind, Jesus reveals that God is a spirit, and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the nature of God is not the nature of a physical frame of a body like we have or like our Lord Jesus possesses. It, it, he's not a body. He is a presence is not like a wispy entity that 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 is the all-powerful universe or some kind of force like star wars proclaims he's an entity he's he is a being without question he's just without body in his presence and so he is a spirit and he said uh I was there in the spirit, and behold, a, a throne in heaven stood with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, which is a glorious. Jasper can be either red or, or uh, clear like a crystal, or better yet, like a diamond, and and the carnelian is a red. Uh, stones so it's glorious in, in in the appearance that he has and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald which of course would give off a green a greenish hue uh, around the the throne with this diamond which i mean is just glorious is just glorious I mean, to look upon God, and this is what you see, there's no definition of the appearance like would be with Jesus as concerning the hair, as concerning the eyes, as concerning the feet or, or those, those, those parts of a human body. There's no description of this except for to say he who sat there as to recognize the overall appearance of this of this person on the throne and and the the authority of them but their appearance is just this glorious precious gems right it's this glorious sight this jasper which 
a diamond of course if you if you shine a light through a diamond or even even if you've got a good quality uh, fake diamond i forgot the name of what they call those but but they they do make some pretty solid quality fake diamonds which are those that are manufactured in a lab and and you still get that prism effect a real diamond you're going to have a glorious prism effect of light refracting through the cuts in the diamond and you can imagine with the appearance of Jesus or the appearance of God the Father with this jasper and this carnelian that that you would have a stone of the jasper and a stone of the carnelian and emerald that are pure, that are perfect. Now, what we find in our earth's repositories today as we dig the earth, we discover these precious gems is that they are flawed that they are not perfect, that they, that they have mineral content mixed into them, and that no matter how much we try to purify the stone to make it worth more and more and more, the stone itself is always going to carry a certain amount of impurity. It's always going to be to a certain level flawed because of the nature of corruption in this earth. But these stones in heaven and that which is upon our, our Father, the way that He has seen, these stones that are in heaven, these, these gems, gold and silver and precious stones, are going to be perfect. And this is something that we, we can't even wrap our heads around to consider the way in which these, these gems would look in a perfected state for the beauty that we see on the earth would only be magnified in perfection of what is in heaven. <laughs> and around the throne, in verse number 4, you see these 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders that are clothed in white garments with golden crowns upon their heads. And, and the exciting point of 24 is two sets of 12. And, and often I look at this 24 thrones that never refers to who is seated upon the throne, but what the thrones represent, I personally believe, are the 12 tribes of Israel as the old covenant of God sitting before him and the 12 apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ is recognized as the new covenant sitting before God and so that you have the complete covenant both old and new represented as praising God as praising the Lord casting their golden crowns before him in acknowledgement of the blessing that he has poured out upon the world in each period of, of the world's existence from the time of its beginning and the old covenant that God would establish to the time of its end and the new covenant that the believers lived out. That the blessing of rejoicing in the Lord and the revelation of the fullness of his covenant, as you will soon see in chapter 5, the Lamb of God in between the 24 thrones and the throne of God. And so you'll find the complete testimony in chapter 5 of the redemptive plan of God for mankind as his, as his word was given unto man through the old covenant and the reality of his grace. And then his word was proclaimed to all mankind in the new covenant through, through the Gentiles receiving the word of God for the first time and being able to come into covenant relationship with God, thus fulfilling the entire redemptive plan and purpose of God for mankind.
It was a lot to say in a few minutes, wasn't it? So rewind that a few times and really soak it in because it's very important. He said, around the throne were 24 elders and seated on the, or the 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments, which means that they have been delivered and golden crowns upon their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And of course, we, we discussed the seven spirits of God as the seven stars in the right hand of Jesus and the seven angels. We see all of these connections of seven being the connections of those things which are complete, those things which have become perfect. And so that you back up and you would see that these these fire, these seven torches of fire recognize uh, the the seven churches that recognize the these seven spirits that that are you know given under these churches for the purpose of of perfecting them or making them more and more every day what they ought to be through the the messages that were delivered by the angel which is going to be that pastor so it, it's pretty interesting in its connection and of course jesus the lamb and you'll see him in chapter five with seven horns recognize the perfect strength and power of the lord and seven eyes recognizing the 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 ever seeing and all knowing lord over our lives and so it, it's it's just a lot of cool stuff that happens here in revelation that gets totally danced past by most people but we're gonna get into it because we've got plenty of time don't we plenty of time to be able to look at this and so he comes down and he says from the throne came flashes and lightning of course the same connection is what you would find with moses going up on the mountain talking with the lord and sinai that received the the commandments of God, it was from the thunderings and the lightnings that all of the rest of the people down at the base of the mountain were experiencing and causing fear in their lives. But Moses himself was just having a conversation with God. And then you'll find that that the same thing took place when, when Jesus spoke to the apostle Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter number 9, that the escort that was with Paul uh, heard the thunder, was surrounded by the darkness, and, and saw the lightning, and they were afraid of what was going on. But Paul, he was having a conversation with Jesus. And so that we find that, that initially you'll have John seeing these flashes of lightning, hearing these rumblings and peals of thunder uh, ripping off before the throne. But when God begins a conversation with John, it's all over. He doesn't, he doesn't hear or see that anymore as much as he is intently focused on the voice that is speaking with him. And so it gets down to verse number 6. We see that before the throne was, as it were, a sea of glass. Now that's very important because that sea of glass is going to come back to visit us in, in a chapter between chapter 14 and 16 that sea of glass is going to come back because all of the saints all of the believers that are in that throne room of god which is an immense number believe me 
will be pushed out onto that sea of glass because of the wrath of God builds up for the final judgments that would be applied to the earth, and no man could come into the throne room of God at that point of time, even in their perfected state, because of how intense and powerful the wrath of God builds against the earth in that moment. But the promise being fulfilled that we're about to see in chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, when the martyred saints ask for the vengeance upon their blood, that God said, just wait here until the rest of your brethren come, and then we'll take care of business. When you get over to the point where the saints are all pushed out to the sea of glass, if you consider that sea of glass uh, being like crystal, then then you have this, this great magnifying glass that you're standing on that gives you a front row seat to the judgments that would be poured out upon the earth. And, and all the saints who's been given the promise that they would be able to see the vengeance of God enacted upon the, the world that persecuted them, there they stand on this sea of glass as the huge magnifier that it is, being able to observe the judgments, the mighty judgments of God and the justice that we've so longed to see happen that, that we oft never see because of the corruption of this world, and God's going to bring it to pass in that day. So there is that that sea of glass-like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, I don't have time for brevity's sake, but I encourage you, go to uh, Ezekiel, Chapter number one, a very powerful point of the wheel within the wheel. You're going to come across these creatures uh, again in Ezekiel chapter one. Uh, you, you'll see them again also in Isaiah, recognized in chapter six is seraphim or the burning ones as as Isaiah would be escorted into the throne room of God that that he would be the question would be asked between God the Father and the Son, who will go for us and who will, will we'll tell you know tell the people for us and in their Isaiah says woe is woe am I a man of unclean lips among a, a people of unclean lips and he gets his commission there so there are several places where you get a chance to be able to meet these these living creatures and I think Ezekiel is probably the best uh, best revelation of these creatures that you'll find the cherubim and of course in Ezekiel you'll also find about chapter number 33 I want to say usually I'm off about a chapter ahead or beneath but chapter 33 I believe is where it recognizes the king of Tyrus and and he was being uh, equated with Satan and he calls him a beautiful cherub and so the recognition of the the devil that we fight against or Satan and is designed to overthrow the the world and and take it to hell with him because of the judgment that he already has passed upon him and and the fact that he hates God is that he was not an angel like we would assume to be Gabriel or 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 Michael or any of the other angels that would we would find ascending or descending from Jacob's ladder is revealed 
but that he would be a cherub. He would be like these guys that we get a glimpse of here in verse number six and moving into verse number seven and eight. He would be one of these. He would have been a beautiful musical creature as the Bible reveals him to be. He would have been in the throne room of God, at the throne room of God. And of course, as his name was recognized in Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse number 12 as being Lucifer, what you're only going to get if you got a King James or if you've got a, a, a new King James or something in that venue, because most of the modern translations will not have that name uh, recognized in them. But Lucifer is is being the, the bearer of light or the light bearer is what his name used to be. And so you could see the, the connection of, of this old devil or of Satan to his original estate with God, but then in Revelation 12, you'll see that the original estate was lost to him as he tried to raise a coup against God and was cast out of heaven and thrown down to the earth. And so, I know it's a lot of information, but just this is a video. Play it over again. And it's it's very powerful, these creatures known as cherubim or cherubim. And so he says that these creatures on the throne, each on each side of the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. So understanding that, that there are four of these creatures on each pillar of the corners of the throne that we see that, that the Lord sitting on it with his emerald rainbow and his jasper and garnelian stone, uh, we, we would have uh, one of these creatures on each of the posts. And of course, Ezekiel recognizes that that with two wings they will fly, and with two wings that they cover their face, and with two wings they cover their feet, and their wings are filled with eyes, of course, we see in Revelation as well, but that they literally bear the throne of God, and so wherever the Lord wills within his throne room to go, they carry the Lord. And he says the first living creature is like a lion, the second living creature is like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Now, again, in Ezekiel, you'll find that each one of these creatures has four faces on them each. So what we discover is, is that from the direction that that John is seeing these creatures, he can see all four of their faces at one time. So if John were to go to their right flank, he would see all four character faces. If he goes to the left flank, if he goes to the, the right side or the left side, front or back, he's always going to see the the four faces that exist that being described in verse 7 because each one of these creatures has each one of these faces all the way around them so it's very important to understand the connection of these faces as many scholars believe and i don't mind this i think it's pretty cool that they recognize the four gospels of the salvation testimony of the son as being the man would be recognized in Luke, that the, the ox would be recognized in Mark, that the lion would be recognized in, in Matthew, and that the eagle would be recognized in John. So, uh, I think that's fantastic. I think that God knew exactly what he was doing when he planned everything out before he started day one. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. 
And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. The times in the scripture where things are spoken thrice. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And thus Jesus would say thrice, do you love me more than these? Oh, brother, when they, when they come to the point of, of speaking something three times in the Holy Trinity, uh, we better pay attention out of the mouth of two or three witnesses or a thing said three times by God, whatever it is, is established. So, comes down and says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on their throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you, by your will, by the way, very important point in verse number 11 here. By your will, they existed and were created. The will of God. Now, keeping in mind that, that the apostle Paul would write to us in Romans chapter number 12, and he would say not to be conformed, in verse 2, not to be conformed unto this world, but to be transformed by, by the renewing of our mind so that we may know what is, so that we may know, okay, what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So he says, for you created all things, and by your will they existed. Was the very, the very desire of God and his will to bring all things to pass, and, and it was the very desire and will of Jesus to be able to cover the price for man so that God in, in his creation would, would bring him into existence, even though they knew that they, would, they were going to fall. Even though they knew that these things were going to come to pass, still they were done. Nothing caught God by surprise. Now, these, these 24 elders, well, I have to quit now. I'm just going to add a little bit more and then be done. These 24 elders, can you imagine the challenge that, that they would be shouting, holy, holy, holy. They would be praising God and saying, worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive this glory. And that every time that these living creatures would, would shout, holy, 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 that these guys would launch their crowns before his throne and just give him praise only to, to be seated upon the throne again with their crown on their head again. Because this is a continual thing that is taking place where they acknowledge that they're not worthy to be wearing those crowns and that they are a gift of the Lord and they return that gift to the Lord, but it's a gift. And so that constantly gets returned back to their heads. And so as they cast it down, it comes back to them. And as they cast it down, it comes back to them. And they never get tired of it. No one in heaven ever gets tired of it. Because everybody... And heaven has been delivered. We on earth, we've been redeemed. But those in heaven have been delivered. Father, we thank you and praise you and ask that blessing upon us as we consider this beautiful chapter in Revelation today. Thank you for it. God bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. 
Uh, just so that you know, we're just going to carry on in Revelation. So coming up on Monday, we're going to keep going. We're going to go to Revelation 5. We're just going to roll it every day from this point as we've completed the book of James. We have the door open. We're just going to run through it. And on Wednesdays, we're going to continue with our our Wisdom Wednesdays. We're going to continue with the, the connection of of uh, Proverbs there, but the rest of the time, we're just going to dig into Revelation because I'm really excited about it. It's a really good book to get into, so until then, catch us on Sunday at uh, Preacher's Corner and also at uh, Martin Baptist Church here in Martin, North Dakota, and we'll be glad to, to have you online, but if you live in this particular area in North Dakota, we'd love to have you come through the door. <laughs> I'd like to be able to get to meet you so that I can uh, start start discovering the 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 landscape of ministry that the Lord would have provided. So, uh, other than that, may the may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And I'll catch you Monday in Revelation at the Preacher's Corner. God bless, guys.